Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. One of my jobs as pastor is to make sure that as a church you are being taught right doctrine. And doctrine, the word doctrine really comes from a word that means teaching, okay? Uh, but really we typically think of the word doctrine as meaning what do we believe? Things that are consistent with what the word of God says. Those would be right doctrine. And, and it's uh, really important that we do that because haven't we really come to see that what we believe affects everything in our lives, right? Our belief at any given point in time, at any moment in time, actually determines our behavior, determines the choices that we make. And this is especially true when it comes to what we believe about God, what he's like, what his character is like, how he feels toward us and what he's wanting to accomplish in our lives. That's very crucial. It's also very crucial that we understand uh, how uh, the gospel and what it means to have a relationship with him. Because what we believe about how we get a relationship with him is going to tremendously affect how we try to live out that relationship with him. In fact, the Apostle Paul instructs us, he says, the same way you got saved, live your Christian life. Okay, and so we have come to believe the truth, trust in him, respond in faith, and then do the things that he says. Now, um, we've been in the book of Romans here, and you know, it's, it's all about the gospel. It's about then how do we live it out, and how do we deal with the sin problems that come inevitably, and, and, and the fact that we saw last week, man, no condemnation, and, and God loves us, and he will never stop loving us, and nothing can ever separate us from his love. And this brings us to the uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11 in Romans. And um, it's in these chapters that some beliefs that are fairly prevalent within Christianity. Let me preface that. Let me say this back. There are some wrong beliefs about God and about the gospel that are very prevalent in Christianity. And chapters 9, 10, and 11 are used by people who hold those wrong beliefs to make their case. Now, I'm convinced they're wrong, and we'll talk about that today. But what I want to say to you is, is it's really important that we understand this passage of Scripture, understand what God is saying, and really, maybe more importantly, what he is not saying in these verses so that we don't get caught up, as the Bible describes, with every wind of doctrine that blows back and forth and there's no stability. We need to, to really have it settled who God is, what he's like, how he works, what the gospel is, and how we have a relationship with him. And so, uh, let me do this. Let me just say, there's two, there's more than this, but there's two beliefs, um, wrong beliefs, that people will use Romans chapter nine to support. Okay, and I'll tell you how they do that in a little while and how we avoid it. I mean, this is a little different. You understand, most of the time I'm not up here telling you what other people believe and why it's wrong. That's not usually what we do, right? But I think it's really important because uh, it's going it's to affect so much. So here's the two wrong beliefs that really uh, come up in this chapter, in chapter 9, how people use it wrongly. The first one is this, is that God... Before he ever created anything, he, he knew who he was going to create, all of us, and he, cho he chose who would be saved. 
He said, well, I'm going to save this one, and I'm going to save this one, and this one. I'm going to save that one, and that one, and that one. Okay? Oftentimes, as you think, you think, well, that's predestination. Okay? And, and yes, you could describe it that way. Uh, the Bible does talk about predestination, but not that way. The only people in the Bible who are predestined are people who receive Christ. And then we're predestined to become like Christ. But, so you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's God chose who would be saved. And by default, then, everybody else is what? Not saved. And cannot get saved. Because God didn't choose them. All right? Now, and, and that's a wrong belief, okay? Uh, and so... And yet at the same time, are we chosen by God as Christians? Yeah, we are, but how does that work? Well, God knows all things, doesn't he? He's an all-knowing God. The Bible, his, his understanding is infinite, it says. He knows everything. Does that mean he knows the future? Does that mean he knows what choices we're going to make? He does know what choices we're going to He doesn't make us make them, but he knows what we're going to do. Uh, any of you parents, have you ever watched your little child going around and you knew exactly what they were going to do next? You knew, didn't you? Did you make them do it? No, they chose to do it, okay? And so this idea of God knows ahead of time. And so uh, the word that the Bible uses to describe this, the, the idea of God choosing is elect, or election, we're getting ready to have an election, right, in our country, we have an election, we will choose who we want to be the president, so that's what the word elect means, the chosen ones, okay, or the God's choosing. So how did God choose us then? If we're saying that God didn't just decide for the world, I'm gonna save you, and I'm gonna save you, and you, and not you, and not you, and not you, and he, if he didn't do that, how did he choose us then? Okay, well, it, it says this in uh, 1 Peter. Peter says that we are elect according to the, what? What's the word? Foreknowledge of God. God did know that on April 4th, 1975, that I would choose to receive Christ as Savior. He knew that. And, and he also, the Bible says that, go to Ephesians 1 there. He chose us in him. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now let, let's go back, and those of you who've been here, and if, if you've missed this, I encourage you to go watch the videos or listen to the messages online. That very moment that we get saved, we, we trust Christ, we believe, what happens? Well, God moves in, right? We get new life, it's a, it's a change. He makes us holy and righteous down inside and we begin to work it out in our lives. But remember we talked about that he does what? He takes us and immediately does what? He puts us what? Into Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. God takes us and, and remember the word baptized means, I don't want to confuse me, but it means to put into. And so he takes us and he puts us into Christ where we will be forever. All right? And so God chose everybody who would believe and be in Christ. Does that make sense? I don't want to confuse you, because I, 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 I know what I'm trying to say, but it doesn't always come out so that people hear it uh, properly. But he, he chose everyone who would get saved. That's what it amounts to. He chose everyone who would get saved and be in Christ. And he did know us. He knew who we are. And so he, we are chosen by him in that sense. Now, understanding this, we, we have to understand that if God chose you and you and you and not you and you and you, 
then <laughs> what is taught, and we aren't really going to go into this, what is taught is that Jesus only died for you and you and you and not you and you and you. But the scripture is so clear. Uh, go to 1 John 2 there. You don't have, no, you guys look it up. It's going to be on the screen. Uh, my little children, uh, John says, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now go to the next one, next verse. And he himself is the propitiation, fancy word that means satisfactory payment for our sins. And what? Not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You see, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And every person can respond and believe when they hear that gospel. They can respond to the revelation they have in the universe and respond toward God and God will work in their lives. But it's for the whole world. Now, the other thing that is this, another wrong belief that, that's in this and it's kind of all tied up together is this and that's that Human, well, let's back up. Are human beings messed up by sin? Were you messed up by sin? I was messed up by sin. I'm still working my way out of the mess. And so, yes, we are. And if God didn't work in our lives, would we want him? No, we just keep going our own way. Okay? And so we understand that truth. Well, let me just tell you what the wrong belief. The wrong belief is this. You remember, I'm not going to go over great death, but remember I had the spirit soul and body. You remember we were talking about that? And that when we, the moment we believe in Christ, right, every sin is forgiven, God moves in and begins to work in our lives. He makes us alive on the inside and changes us and we begin to live that process out, okay? Well, what this belief says that you can't choose to receive Christ. You are incapable of choosing to receive Christ. You, you aren't able to respond to the gospel. It is impossible, that's what they say. And so what they say is that here you are, you've never believed, you've never responded to the gospel. God moves, because he chose you, when God is ready, he moves in, makes you alive, changes you all on the inside, and now you believe, okay? And the problem with that is that, I mean, to me it's just, it, it clearly contradicts statement after statement after statement in scripture. We're only gonna look at one. Uh, John 20, verse 31, talking about what's written in the gospel. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Not, you will get life from him and then you will believe. But no, you believe and then you get life. And see, the gospel brings with it the ability to respond. We've looked in Romans 1. The, uh, the gospel is the what? The power of God unto salvation. And so when someone hears the gospel, it, it brings with it the ability for them to respond to it. And then they believe and then they get life, okay? So, and there's more beliefs connected to this. Maybe we'll look at it another time. But it's important that we understand these things. Or when we look at Romans chapter nine, if we start with those beliefs in our mind, guess what we'll see there? We'll see something that will support those beliefs. So it's really important that, and this is part of my job, is to go to the scriptures, make sure that we know what the Bible really says, what does it really say, what does it really mean, and then to teach that and then for us to believe those things. 
Um, and there are things in the Bible that there's certainly room to disagree on, and, and there are Christians, genuinely godly Christians, who believe those things I just told you. And they're my brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, but I'm convinced that they're wrong about that. And I want you to be right about it. So how, do, how is anybody able to look at the scriptures and come up with a wrong understanding? Well, almost always it has to do with an issue, uh, a principle uh, that is an important, important part of trying to understand what the Bible says and what it means. And that is the issue of context. And when we talk about and I teach about how do you understand and apply the Bible, I say context is king. Context is king. Well, what's context? Context is, is, is comes from two, uh, prefix in the word text, and con means with. Okay, so what's, what's with the text? What are, what are the verses around this text? What is the chapter around this text? What is the book that this is written in? Was it written in the New Testament or Old Testament? All these things are context to help us understand what's going on. So what is the context of Romans chapter 9 as we start? Well, you remember we said from the very beginning as we looked at Romans, there was a little struggle going on. Maybe not so little struggle going on be between the Jewish people who had become believers and followers of Christ and the Gentiles who had never been Jewish who had become believers and followers of Christ. The Jewish people had a huge heritage, didn't they? A long heritage. They had lots of customs and traditions and, and things even about their appearance that were so important to them. And the Gentiles had none of that. All they had was Christ. And so in the church, there begins to be this struggle about well, what's it mean to be a follower of Christ? Doesn't it mean to become Jewish? After all, we are the people of God and, and God has given us the law. And, and, or does the Gentiles say, you know, no, it's just about believing in Christ and loving and following him. And, and so there was this conflict. Remember, we've been looking at that as we've gone through the book of Romans. Well, Paul has just really made it clear that it's not about being Jewish anymore. It's about the gospel, and it applies the same to everybody. And so the Jewish believers in the church, I mean, can you imagine if your whole lifetime, your whole identity was about being Jewish and, and all the customs, the traditions, and we worship God properly, and we do these sacrifices and offerings, and, and we do things this way and this way, this, and all of a sudden you're being told, hey, if you wanna do that, cool, but you don't have to. And you shouldn't expect others to. When it, is, is that hard to let go of? I know it's hard to let go of because I know a bunch of you who've had a hard time letting go of things. Okay? It's just, it's the way we are as people. And so this is deeply ingrained in them. And so now the question starts to rise, well, what's up with this? The Jewish believers think, well, what's up with this? I, I thought we were special in the sense of I thought God had a special relationship with us. God gave us his law. God did all these things for us. He made all these promises to our ancestors. What's up with this? Has God not been faithful? Chapter 9 begins to deal with this. Paul starts to answer this question. And... Uh, why don't you take your Bible and turn to page 1301 if you're using a Bible that's under the chairs. Otherwise, Romans chapter 9. Um, but what I want you to understand is, and we'll see as we go through this, that the context of what we're going to look at is what's going on with the fact that God seems to be setting aside Israel and instead working through the church. 
He used to work through Israel, but now he's working through the church. And this is important. The context is not how do individual people get saved. It's a big, big difference, all right? Now, I'm gonna ask you, and I know you hate the answers, but I'm, are there any of you in here today that are saying, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of feeling a little lost. And could you elaborate? Okay, I know that's a hard one to answer your question. <laughs> so let me ask this question. How many of you really feel like, yeah, I think I'm tracking with you? Okay, good, all right. So let's go to chapter nine now and look at uh, what Paul is saying, what God is saying through him. Let's start right in verse number one. Again, page 1301 in the Bible in the chairs there. Paul says, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. Who is he talking about? The Jewish people, Israel, okay? Paul was an Israelite. He was a Jewish person. And he's so burdened for the Jewish people who have not received Christ. So burdened for the Jewish people who didn't understand that Jesus is the Messiah and that um, you know, he would be the savior of, of their, from, from their sins if they would let him. So much so, he says, I, I think I would even give up my salvation for them to be saved. I, you know, I just gotta be real honest. I don't think I could ever say that when I understand what it means. But Paul, in verse one, he said, let me, I'm not lying, I'm not lying. I'm telling you the truth. The Holy Spirit really is my witness. I, I think about that, he says. If there was some way I could do that, that's how badly I feel for them that because when Jesus came what was his religion you guys out there today I just put my glasses on and you get real blurry when I put them on <laughs> he was Jewish wasn't he he was an Israelite okay all of the first disciples were Israelites Jews the, a lot of the early, most of the in fact in Jerusalem probably almost all of the early church were Jewish but a lot of Jewish people didn't get saved. A lot of, people, of them rejected Christ and said he wasn't the Messiah. And so Paul is extremely burdened for them. And then he, he describes them. Verse four, he says, who are Israelites? To whom pertain the adoption. In other words, God chose to adopt us as his people. The glory, we saw the glory of God. The covenants, the promises that God has made to us. The giving of the law, the service of God. That's the tabernacle, the temple. And the promises like that he gave uh, all, all through the scriptures. And then he says, of whom are the fathers. And it was all of the famous people that God has worked through in the Bible. Abraham, Isaac, uh, Jacob, uh, Solomon, David. Moses, all of these people of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh Christ came. Jesus came through Israel, through the Jewish line. He says, who is over all the eternally blessed God, amen. So this is the way the Jews saw themselves and rightfully so, but now it's like, where's that all go? What happened to it? All right, so let's, let's read on. Verse six, he says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect. We're gonna come back to that. It's not that the word of God has taken no effect. So he starts to say the issue is not that the message hasn't worked. The message has worked. Let's jump over to verse 30. I just wanna look at verses over here. This is part of the context that helps us understand what's happening. The question is what's happening? Verse 30, what shall we say then that Gentiles the non-Jews, right? 
that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness. How do they do that? Well, even the righteousness of faith. By the way, that goes back and addresses that issue. How do we get right with God? By faith. He doesn't make us right with him and then we have faith. We have faith and then he makes us righteous. So the Gentiles have, have received it by faith. Verse 31, but Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. And we're gonna come back to the rest of that at the end. But you see what he says here is really, that's a summary of what's going on. What's going on? Is that God has determined that we have a right relationship with him and live out that relationship by faith. And the Israelites who rejected Christ were still trying to become righteous by what? Keeping the law, doing the works of the law. And God said that doesn't work that way. So what's happening? Israel, the Israelites are indeed being set aside. And, and so this is what we might we call fall. I titled this sermon, the, the, the Fall and the Rise of Israel, or this sermon, these three sermons we're gonna look at. The fall and rise, usually we say the rise and fall, but we're seeing here the fall of Israel, and we will see that they will rise again. So let's go back to verse six. And put your thinking caps on with me, will you? And let's put it in a, a higher gear here. Says, but it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. And the promise is that if you believe, you will be made righteous. If you believe, okay? That was the promise. So he, Paul starts to say, look, Everyone who is a physical descendant of Abraham, Israelite, just because you're physically a Jew doesn't make you a true Jew. What makes you a true Jew? The fact that you believe what God has said and you put your faith in Christ. And so he begins to differentiate because what he's saying is God is, he's going to show us God has not really turned away from Israel. He's setting aside Israel as the nation for how he's going to work in the world. And he's going to work in the world through the church. Now he is setting aside Israel, but he's saying he hasn't set aside all Israel because guess what? I'm an Israelite, Paul says, and I'm saved. And other Israelites, Jews are saved. Now, the context here is you know, what's happening to Israel and what's happening with the church. And where this is headed is that Paul is saying here that God, at least for the time being, is setting aside Israel as the people that he's working through. For 1400 years, from the time um, Israel came out of Egypt, uh, they had been the people that God worked through in the world. You understand that, right? They were the one with the word of God. They were one of the revelation and the mess. So God was working through Israel in the world. Well, now since they haven't believed as a nation and he started the church, he is now going to be working through the church. This is who? Us. All right, so he's explained this. And so he's, 
the, the people say, yeah, how is that right? How is that fair? And he goes back here and shows how God has repeatedly made these kinds of choices. So verse seven again, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham and Isaac your seed shall be called, jump down to verse nine, for this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son, Isaac. Now they had another son named Ishmael. And they had that other son not because they were following God and trusting God, they had done their own thing and, and, and uh, Sarah hadn't actually given birth to Ishmael, her servant girl had given birth to Ishmael, whole long story. But what I want you to see is that when God chose Abraham, well, yeah, I've got ahead of myself. But when God chose Abraham, he set aside every other family in the world, didn't he? Go ahead and put that up if you would. When God chose Abraham, he set aside every other family in the world. He said to Abraham, I'm gonna work through you and your descendants. Now, does that mean that other people in the world can't have a relationship with God? Does that mean that? No, it doesn't mean they can't be saved. Not talking about who can be saved. He's talking about how he's working in the world, okay? When he chose Abraham, he did. Now, when he chose Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac instead of Ishmael, when, he, when God chose Isaac, he set aside Ishmael and his descendants. It's just the way it goes, isn't it? If you choose to work through somebody, in essence, you're, you're setting aside the others. Okay, let's continue. Verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah, who was married to Isaac, also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, not ha nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, this, this choosing God's doing, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. The older being Esau, the younger being Jacob. Normally, in their culture, who, who was in charge? The older. And, and God says, I'm turning this upside down. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. And uh, so you know, that is a figure of speech called hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggeration. Do we ever make exaggerations? How about somebody, you know, uh, if my wife, I don't think I'd say that, but my wife decided to tickle me and she wouldn't quit. And sometimes she gets like that. It's just, and I, I am one of those people, if, if you tickle me, somebody's gonna get hurt. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. Well, that's an exaggeration. I don't have any intent to kill her. But what, do I, what am I trying to communicate? This is just big feelings that I have. And so this is what God is saying. It's, it's, a, it's a, a figure of speech. But what I want you to see is that when God chose Jacob instead of Esau, he set aside Esau and his descendants. These are the kinds of choices that God is making, how he's working in the world, who he's working through, who, which line is he working through, who is, which line is Christ going to come through. You see how this is not about choosing somebody to be saved? This is choosing people to work through in the world. But the wrong belief I said before would say that God, see, chose. Who would be saved? And this is not what it's talking about. Verse 14, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Well, wait a minute. So God is choosing uh, Abraham and without any consideration of, of who else might deserve it. God is choosing um, Isaac, uh, you know, without consideration of who really deserved it, Ishmael. Or, and God is choosing Jacob, even though he was the younger and he hadn't even done anything to deserve it. God chose him. And it says here, well, is, is then our unrighteousness with God? Because what would we typically do? 
We'd say, okay, now who's best? Who deserves this? That would be our natural tendency. Who deserves to be chosen? But God doesn't do that because he doesn't want anybody to think that, that his working is because of them. No, his working is because of him, because of God himself. All right, so let's continue. He says, certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs but of God who shows mercy. And the idea is this, is the wait a minute, you haven't shown me mercy, it's very unmerciful for you to choose him and not me. It's very unmerciful for you to choose the, the Gentiles in the church and not us Israelites. And God said, no, I, I make that choice. I'll show mercy to whom I, I choose to show mercy to. I'll show compassion to who I show compassion to. It's not, we don't get to choose. And now, if you don't let a little kid choose and he wants to choose, what happens? Throws a fit, right? I'm choosing for it. No, that's the throws a fit. Do you know that we still have a tendency with that? And I'm telling you today that, that God doesn't let us make all the choices we think we ought to be able to make. He just doesn't. That's a good thing. He knows better than us. All right. So, uh, so verse 18, therefore he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. Hardens, what do we mean? He says, well, you'll say to me, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? If he's hardening some people, and he's showing mercy on people, what's going on? Oh, I got ahead of myself, didn't I? I'm sorry, verse 17, I didn't mean to leave that out. Verse 17, for the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills and whom he wills he hardens. Do you remember the story of Moses before Pharaoh? Pharaoh, and if you, if you aren't familiar with that story, uh, if, you've, if you watched um, the cartoon, what was the cartoon? Moses, Prince of Egypt. If you've ever watched the movie, the Bible, this is that, that, and those aren't all accurate, but that's the time frame we're talking about. Israel was in captivity as slaves in Egypt. Pharaoh was the ruler of Egypt. And God sent Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh didn't want to do it. Okay, didn't want to let him go. And so God begins to challenge him. And God, the Bible says, hardens his heart, hardens Pharaoh's heart. Sometimes it says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Other times it says God hardened his heart. A number of, a, a few things to think about here. One is that um, God's hardening of Pharaoh's heart, how did he do it? And we don't have time to go look at the passage, but I'll tell you how he did it. He got in Pharaoh's face and told him the truth. You know, there are probably people here today, um, you know, you know somebody here, maybe you're sitting next to him or her. Do you know how to push your spouse's buttons? Anybody here know how to do that? You guys are acting like you don't have a clue what I'm talking about. <laughs> we know which buttons to push if we want to get a rise out of somebody, don't we? Well, God knew Pharaoh. God knew Pharaoh's heart. God knew that Pharaoh was, you know, he thought he was God and he didn't want to have nobody else is going to be God. And, and so every now and then God through Moses, you're not God. God is God. And we're going to show you this through another plague. And Pharaoh would harden his heart. So God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And why did he do it? Well, we're going to see a few more things explained here. But understand, he's not hardening his heart about salvation. 
He's hardening his heart with respect to the Israelites being in slavery and him needing to let them go. Not about whether he could have a relationship with God or not. The Bible doesn't ever say that. Okay, so, but he's hardening Pharaoh's heart. Verse 19, before I ask, was it wrong for Pharaoh to stand in opposition to God? Was it wrong for him to, you know, be hard against God? Yeah, it was wrong. And yet we see God had pushed his buttons and hardened him. And so then the question comes, verse 19, you will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? In other words, how can God say Pharaoh was wrong because of this? Well, Pharaoh was already wrong before God pushed his buttons. But here's some answers, verse 20. He says, but indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? In other words, do we really know better than God? Does God know things we don't know? Does he have understanding we don't have? So us, the creative being, why would we challenge God about that? Verse 21, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same love to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? So he can work in our world however he chooses to work in our world. And he, he knows how to work in our world in the very best ways possible. And if that includes pushing somebody's buttons to harden them in their own choices, then he will do it. Verse 22, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. He, he's saying here, if God allows evil to continue, and he allows evil to act in such a way that it actually accomplishes God's purposes. Like was it evil for them to crucify Jesus Christ? Was it evil? It was the worst evil that was ever done. And yet God allowed it. And in allowing it, he did what? Accomplished his purposes, Jesus dying for our sins. And so he says, what if God allows that? And, and he does this so that he might show his great mercy and blessing to us who believe. You know, why would we call God into question on those things? He's God and we are not. Verse 25, as he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people. Hosea being an Old Testament prophet, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there shall they be called sons of the living God. And what he's talking about is while he's working through the Jewish nation, he says, those Gentiles out there, they're going to be my people. Even though they aren't my people, they're going to be my people. Who is he talking about? He's talking about me. He's talking about you. God told beforehand that this was going to happen, that Israel would be set aside and he would work through the church. Verse 27, Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. This is what Paul is talking about. There are Jewish people, there are Israelites who have been saved. God has not been unfaithful to Israel. He's saved anyone in Israel who wants to be saved. There's a remnant will be saved for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of Sabaoth had left us a seed, a remnant, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. So God has been faithful because there are Jewish people who were what? Saved. And they are the true Israel. 
All right, so much more we can say about that, but let's look at our verses again here. Verse 30. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, it's what God said in the Old Testament, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him. So who is the stumbling stone? Who is the rock of offense? The stumbling stone? It's Jesus. And whoever believes on him shall not, will not be put to shame. And so what God is saying here is that Israel, the nation Israel, the Jewish nation that many, maybe most, did not receive Christ because they stumbled over that. What do you mean I, it's not about what I can do? What do you mean it's not about keeping the law? What do you mean it's about recognizing this man as the son of God? What do you mean? Not having any part of it. And so they stumbled. And God has now done what? For the time being, he has set them aside. He's not reaching the world through Israel and the Jews now. He's reaching the world through the church. Okay. Now, do you see the choices that are all through here, that God made. But these were choices about how he was gonna work in the world, not about choosing to save someone and not someone else. That's not what those verses are about. You know, God knows better than we do, doesn't he? And then this passage should teach us, God knows better than we do. And the final thing I want you to see is this. Uh, of course, we are saved by placing our faith in Christ. But that last thing, it's, the root issue for all of this was Christ. What will you do with Christ, see? Will you believe and be saved or will you reject and be unsaved? The central issue of all of life is Jesus Christ. And that's the center of this, this passage of Scripture. And so today I say to you, have, have you received Christ as Savior? Do you need to do that? You can do that just by opening up your heart and saying, okay, God, I know I've sinned. I believe Jesus died and rose again. I'm, I receive Christ as Savior. Uh, I need the forgiveness. I need his life and do that. Uh, are you here today as a Christian and Christ is not the center of your life today? Something else is the center of your life. If so, you need to make a change, right? Christ needs to be the central focus of our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word that you tell us the things we need to understand. I thank you, Father, for the attentiveness of everyone here today with this more difficult subject to kind of follow along and, and figure out. But I pray, Father, it would just be so clear to us that while you have repeatedly made choices in history about who you're working through and how you're going to do it, that you, with the gospel, with your revelation in the world around us, you have enabled every one of us to respond to you. That we, and your son died for every one of us and we can respond and believe. And that when we do trust Christ, you keep every promise you ever made about that. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You're dismissed. I'd be glad to talk with you if you have any questions about any of these things.